Before we get started with the show, I just want to take a moment to thank Trusted Health. They're a nurse travel agency that does things a little different. They're back once again to sponsor our podcast, and we really appreciate them. Guys, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse, fill out a profile, and you can start seeing jobs that are available all across the country right now. And not only will you be able to see the jobs, but also you can see what they pay. So go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and see what's out there waiting for you. That's trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse. Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and I have Kiki back with me. Hello, Kiki. Hello, Tuna, and hello, everybody. It's so good to have you back, Kiki. You've been studying for your PCCN and... <laughs> Tell us the results. I passed. Woohoo. More letters at the end of my name. <laughs> <laughs> well, I took that test and I know how hard it is. So congratulations. Thank you. Whenever you start working, th- those of you who are nursing students, whenever you start working, it's going to be one of the things after a couple of years that you're going to want to do is get certified in whatever area that you are working in. And let me just tell you that test is not easy. It's it's hard. <laughs> so you're going to have to study pretty hard for it. It was pleasantly challenging. I, I kind of missed, I don't know, my internet getting into the books and digging deep into the pathophysiology and assessment skills and stuff like that. And I feel like I really learned a lot studying. And even though you like just it doesn't matter that I passed the test like just the benefit of me studying, like before I took it, I wasn't really that confident that I was going to pass. Just like the benefit of studying and going to work and really thinking through things in a different way and being more confident about like what what questions I need to ask the physicians and just recommendations. It was just, it, it was good. It makes you think about things that you just didn't think about before. You didn't even realize that you weren't thinking about before. Yeah. It takes it to a whole nother level. And it's like, maybe I was taught before to think about it, but when I had to learn stuff on the job, you unthink about things. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Now you're able to think about that next layer. Yeah, exactly. It's really cool. And it it's one of those oddly satisfying things. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I'm I'm so much better at the work I do yeah, now. For sure. Because I know what I'm what I'm watching, what I'm monitoring, and I just know what to an- anticipate. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I, that's how I feel. I'm studying right now for mine. So we'll see what happens. We're actually going to, I mean, we have our bad nurse story that we're going to tell. And then for our good nurse story, we decided to do something a little different this week and Kiki and I are going to talk about each of us a different time where we were impacted specifically by patient without violating HIPAA, of course. We'll change specific uh, details that where we have to so that we wouldn't violate HIPAA. But just so that the point is that we're, we'll be kind of letting you know something that helped us be a better nurse by um, the interaction that we had. And so maybe you you will be able to, to glean that from our experience. But first of all, I guess we can get started with this bad nurse story. So this woman, I don't even know what to think about her because like I'm sitting there watching the little video 
about the whole story. And I'm just like, if I wasn't sitting here literally watching her, I swear I would think someone made this up. It just doesn't make any sense that someone would do this. And yet, once again, people (laughs) defy all logic and just do the craziest thing. So you guys, this is, uh, I dare say you're probably going to be shocked at what this woman did. Because I know I was. I still can't really believe it. Like, it's just crazy. So this is the story of Darlene Gentry. Darlene is from Texas. And the pictures and videos of this woman, like typical Texas, what I think of is like a Southern, almost like a Southern Belle kind of person, like the, with the blonde hair, like very... But I don't know. Texas Southern Bells are a little different. Yeah. Their hair is bigger. Yeah, well, that's just Texas. I feel like Texas, <laughs> everything's bigger. It's just a, It's this humongous, massive state. And they're just incredibly proud that they're from Texas. Yes, of course. I I think if I was from Texas, I'd probably be like that too, because I feel like it's a pretty cool state if you think about it. Like, I mean, for one thing, it is the largest state in the continental U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Is that right? It sounds right. <laughs> I mean, when I picture a map in my head, it's it's pretty damn big. I was thinking it was. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it, and then you guys are gonna email me <laughs> and correct me, and that's okay. I'm all right with that. Well, that's where Darlene is from. She's from Texas. Oh, Darlene. So anyway, Darlene. Well, why don't we just start out like what happened right up front? Because yeah, then we can get to like why yeah why it's kind of like what and, are you thinking, Darlene? Right, honey. What happened right up from the very beginning, the actual incident, Darlene called 911 and reported that she got up and the house was cold and the door was open and there's, you know, everything was just off. Oh, and by the way, my husband is laying in the bed with a gunshot wound. So she called 911 and reported that her hus- husband was gurgling and there was blood on the bed. The back door had been left open and gu- and the guns were gone. So he had like a gun case and there were lots of like rifle looking guns. When I say rifle, you guys, I don't know. It could have been, I don't know what it is. It looks like a long, you know, a long gun. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like a long one as opposed to like a handgun. so intelligent right now. Oh my gosh. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know about guns. So officers showed up and saw these guns laying in the front yard. Okay, so they get there expecting to find, obviously, a woman and someone has been shot. Her husband has been shot. They know this has happened and they're expecting it's an an intruder that's done this. But then they see a pile of guns laying in the front yard, like kind of near the house um, around the corner, sort of piled up neatly. And they're kind of looking at that going, well, that's that's odd. I mean, you know, if you if you break into someone's house with the sole purpose of stealing something and you steal that thing and then you leave it just laying in a nice neat pile outside, you know, that's maybe a bit of a red flag, like mm-hmm. something's a little off there. It's a little too intentional. Yeah, it did seem odd. Well, just to kind of go back uh, to the beginning, Darlene uh, met her husband. They both went to this like technical type school Darlene was going to be a dental hygienist, and they got married. 
They had three boys very close together, like stair step, you know, like one right after the other. In four years, they had three babies. Keith was an electrician. And later on, Darlene decided to go back to school and actually went to nursing school. So it was a very stressful situation, okay? I'm very typical, you know, young family with, with these kids in, accumulating some debt. Darlene liked to spend money. I, you know, that was just, uh, this is not something that's unusual. This is, a lot of people like to spend money. It's not just a female thing or a male thing. It's just, it happens. You accumulate debt. Apparently, Darlene was racking up the credit cards while her husband was traveling for work. And that was causing some problems. Um, They were only seeing each other on the weekends since he was um, working. Keith ended up taking a different job with less pay so that he could be there with his family. And he started getting phone calls um, from debt collectors. And he's like, okay. So the, the situation was getting stressful. Also, Keith wasn't crazy about how she handled the kids. They just didn't agree on their parenting styles. She apparently would kind of let the kids get away with things, let them cry, you know, that sort of thing. All of this stuff just sounds like typical young married people things that they deal with. Very rarely, I would think, do you have two people who get married and then agree about everything, you know? You're kidding me. (laughs) You and Mark don't agree about everything? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So nothing out of the ordinary here as far as I'm concerned. Over time, you know, they were kind of increasingly fighting about different things. And they just generally did not seem to be happy. Got to the point they were sort of spending their free time apart. And there was some question as to whether or not the marriage was going to work out. But Keith told his family and friends that there was no way he was going to leave his wife. He wasn't going to leave. He was going to make it work no matter what. By the way, love that. Yeah. A lot of men are like that. Well, that's that's the way it should be, right? It is. Because it's really sweet. It's commitment. So Keith's parents lived across the street. And when this all happened that morning, his dad actually saw the police get there that morning. He said he gets up every morning at like five o'clock every day. No alarm. He just, he's one of those people that just wakes up. That's just how I picture an old man, an old white man in Texas mm-hmm. with his rooster. Just get up. Just get up when, yeah, when, when the sun the comes up occurs. or whatever. Yeah, you just get up, get your paper, and you drink your black coffee. Right. On your rocket chair. Mm-hmm. And so he was up and he saw the police arrive at his son's house. And he went over and he, he said, you know, he told the police, like, I need to get over there. And they were like, no, you're not coming in here. And he said, that's my son. That's my son's house. And he said that that the police told him, I don't care. You're not going in. So he heard the police say, he's now stable to transfer. And so he knew something had happened to his son, most likely. Yeah, and then I think his wife was on the phone with Darlene, who was in the house with the police. Yeah, because she called her mother-in-law right after after she talked to the police, she called the mother-in-law and was trying to explain what was going on. So what ended up happening, uh, when, when Keith got to the hospital, unfortunately, he was brain dead and they had to take him off life support. This was, you know, just a horrible, horrible situation. And 
So within seven minutes of the police getting there, they pretty much had decided what had happened. They never gave Darlene a chance whatsoever that she could have possibly been telling the truth because they made up their mind the second they they pulled up, saw those guns, and really that was it because there is surveillance video, like footage from the police standing in front of their vehicles, their own vehicles, and it was recording them. And they're looking, or you can see them looking around outside her house. And one of them says to the other, something's not right here. I think she did it. And so they never even really entertained the idea that this would have been an intruder or any anyone other than Darlene doing this. And just like with a lot of the stories that we tell, the way that Darlene was acting maybe was a little odd, but they, from the get-go, it's a, it does seem like, just decided they made up their mind that it was her. And so one thing, you know, after doing a lot of these stories, because we've done enough stories to know that there's been plenty of times when the police make up their mind that someone is guilty and then pretty much make all of the evidence match their theory. So that's one thing that bothers me. Kind of cringy. Mm-hmm. Well, they took her back to the police station and pretty much just like interviewed her, tried to get a confession out of her. She was just saying, she she's, when she realized, wait a minute, so you're obviously thinking I'm the one that did this. And she asked for an attorney, of course. So they start looking around. Of course, they're investigating the house and they see that the gun case where, you know, that had been emptied out, the gun case has a glass front. It's a kind of a cabinet that locks, and the front uh, door of the cabinet is glass. Well, the key for the cabinet is sitting up on top of the cabinet, and it is locked, or it was locked with the guns in it. However, when they found it, it was empty. Of course, the guns are outside on the, on the ground beside the house, but the glass had not been broken at all. In fact, the keys had been taken off the top of the cabinet and put into the lock, and it was unlocked. Someone deliberately unlocked the door, opened it, took the guns out. Now, the prosecutors are saying that right there is not something that an intruder would have done, that they would have just naturally broken the glass and taken the guns. I'm not 100% sure that if someone had a means of opening the cabinet that wouldn't make a lot of noise, that maybe they would have done that. I don't know. You're in the this house in the middle of the night and everyone is asleep. Would you choose to break the glass knowing that you're probably going to wake someone up? Or would you take the key and unlock it and open the cabinet door? Well, I mean, if the key's available, yeah, use the key. So I'm saying that the prosecution made it seem as though that was evidence that Darlene did this because an intruder would have just broken the glass. They wouldn't have taken the time to open the cabinet door. Well, it would have to be someone who knew where the key was. That's what I, That's one thing that I, I did think about that because I was like, well, yeah, of course they would open it, but then how would they know the key was up there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's somebody that... Somebody from church you had over for brunch. Right. Someone had been in the house before. So, and, and these are all things like, once you have 
police officers and investigators that ascend upon a house like this and decide that they know what happened, then they're not considering any of this stuff. And so they can take any piece of evidence like that one and like, well, who's, why wouldn't they just break the glass and make that evidence when it's really not evidence? Mm-hmm. If they knew where the key was, it probably would make more sense that they would open it with a key. Right. So I'm just saying that I don't necessarily think it's a slam dunk. So I'm just saying that I think that you can look at the situation and right up front assess the whole situation and especially an experienced police officer and decide you know what happened. And then everything that you see going forward is evidence that can that will back up your opinion. And then you can choose to not see anything else, not even consider mm-hmm. anything else. Yeah. And I do think that that's what happened here. Because like I said, within seven minutes of the police officers getting there, they were literally standing outside their car talking about the fact that they thought she did it mm-hmm. and that something wasn't right. And we've also talked about the fact that people don't, you don't know how you're going to act. And, and a lot of times people are like, they weren't acting right. They weren't acting like they were really scared or concerned or whatever. And I don't think that anybody really knows how they're going to act in a situation like that until it happens. So they start looking at these guns that are in, that that were on the ground that had come from that case, and they realize one of them is missing. That weapon, they think, is very likely it was used to kill Keith. And so they're thinking, okay, so someone broke into the house took the guns out of this cabinet and then used one of the guns that they took out of the cabinet to then go into the bedroom and kill the homeowner who was lying in bed because Keith was in bed when he was shot. So they get a warrant for Darlene's arrest. Keith's parents bailed her out because they believed in her. They did not believe that she did this. They even had her and the children move in with them while this was going on initially. They were confident that she was innocent. And the police were really wanting to find that gun, the murder weapon. So Darlene, there was an insurance policy. There usually is an insurance policy, right? And and most people, especially young families with children, they're going to have insurance policy. So Darlene did get... um, I guess, an insurance settlement. She started looking for a new home. She said she could not stay there in that house after what happened. It was too upsetting. So she found some land that she liked and she went, she was going through a local builder and she told the builder like, hey, I really like this land. There's a pond on it. Keith always wanted his boys to grow up near a pond so that they could fish. And so That was one of the main reasons that she wanted that land. But then she bought the land. And then all of a sudden, she just told the landowner or the builder that she wanted him to fill in the pond and that she didn't want the pond. And that was very suspicious to him. Mm -hmm. He thought, he, he, he was just kind of thinking to himself, why would you go specifically buy this land just for the pond? And then all of a sudden, you want the pond filled in with dirt. So he went to the police and he said, you know, this may, may not be anything. There may not be anything to this whatsoever. But I just want to let you know, this is, this happened. 
So the police are thinking, hmm, that is a little suspicious. So they go out there and they... This was probably the, like, craziest client this builder has ever had. It's like the story of his life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, yeah. It's... There's no... Yeah. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime kind of a thing that (laughs) happens to someone. So the police go out there and... I guess they dragged this pond, and guess what? They found a gun in the pond, and it was twenty-two, And it was a whole lot like the one that was missing from the cabinet in their house. So I guess we should take a moment here to tell you guys about a new sponsor that we have. We have... I've I've been hearing about these CBD oil companies for a while. <laughs> I've never tried it. Kiki uses CBD oils. And so when CBD Stat approached us and we're like, hey, we'd like to sponsor the podcast, I was like, well, this is perfect because I know Kiki uses these oils and you've been using them. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I've used CBD for my headaches. Um, I initially started using it because one of my friends with Crohn's disease Used it for her like aches and pains. And I was so sick of like taking ibuprofen and all the different stuff, tearing up my stomach. And it really helped kind of just take the edge off. And then CBD Sat also sent like this CBD muscle rub. It was really great. I put that on my neck. I, during like the 12 hours, I'm constantly walking around with like my shoulders up to my ears. I don't even notice it. I'm just stressed out all the time. And I've really liked that. It's not like noticeable. It's just like all of a sudden it's subtle. I'm just like, oh, I'm not, my head's not like pounding anymore. And like my neck's not throbbing, you know. And of course, this is not giving medical advice. And we're not saying that this this stuff, you know, cures anything. These are natural products. I know that you have used CBD oil and have said that, you know, it really helps with your headaches. So the thing that kind of sets them apart, CBD stat from other CBD oil companies, they are 100% THC free. Just the fact that they have like their engineers that it's like 100% THC free. Like I feel better about that. They also use their products only have greater than a thousand milligrams. They are the cheapest THC-free CBD that you can find on the market. They actually make the CBD instead of purchasing it from a processor. So sort of like a wholesaler. And that just makes it cheaper than ever before for them to be able to make. They also give back to healthcare workers. After COVID-19 hit, they decided to take their new relief products and donate them to all local New England hospitals. And they successfully donated more than $50,000 worth of products to doctors, nurses, EMTs, and a lot of other healthcare professionals. And they offer exclusive prices for all healthcare workers that you can find on their website. If you actually go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse, any, I, all of our listeners will get a discounted price. And it's a really good price. I mean, it's like 30% off or something. It's yeah, a really good discount. Love that. Yeah. I, I'm definitely going to get more once I finish my little sample. Mm-hmm. Well, they make strong products for strong people. I believe it. I know you're a believer. And we really appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. And if you guys are interested, is this something you, that you use or something you're interested in, in using? Go to CBDstat.com dot care forward slash good nurse bad nurse we'll put this on our website also for you to be able to try it out 
That's cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Also, of course, the University of Portland has sponsored our podcast once again, and we appreciate them so much as well. You guys, they have a wonderful Doctor of Nursing Practice degree program. So it's a DNP program. It will allow you to work independently and collaboratively with other healthcare professionals. You'll be able to diagnose and manage acutely ill patients and chronically ill patients. This program that they have is a hybrid degree. It's a three-year BSN to DNP program. It's a combination of both online learning and on-campus immersion. There's a weekends only once per month in addition to the online learning. One of their alumni, Jennifer Cortez Klein from the class of 2020, she says that she chose the DNP program at the University of Portland because it's a rigorous curriculum and it places emphasis on preparing family nurse practitioners as clinical experts and innovative leaders. She said she's a first-generation Latina and that she looks forward to being able to serve vulnerable communities by providing an integrative approach to healthcare and addressing social injustice through systems-level change. And to me, that sounds like she's going to take the knowledge that she's gaining through her program there at the University of Portland and use that to try to change the world. So applications for summer 2021 are now open. They're going to be accepted on a rolling basis until April 1st, 2021. So for more information, go to nursing.up.edu. That's nursing.up.edu. So what they do is the builder goes back to Darlene and he says, okay, um, I know you're wanting me to fill in the pond, but we're going to have to drain it first. So we're going to drain the pond before we fill it in. And the reason that they did that is that, or they were going to see if they, when they told her they were going to drain the pond, if that would then cause Darlene to hopefully go out there and try to look for the gun. And they set up surveillance. And lo and behold, literally have Darlene on video walking up to, like, straight up, no, I mean, it's the most deliberate act you could imagine. And she's got this massive blonde hair, and she walks straight up to the pond, right at the very place where the police found the weapon. It's not like she started at one end and was just kind of working her way around. She went straight to where the weapon was found, and she starts like she has some sort of a, I don't know what the device was, but she had something that she was kind of poking down into the pond and trying to dig up looking for something. And you can see her on this video. You can literally see her do this, standing there over and over and over again, relentlessly looking in one spot for something. Well, at her trial, they played this video for the jury and everyone in the courtroom is sitting there watching this. They're watching her on video digging around in this pond for something, knowing that she had just been told that they were about to drain it. And so, of course, she's going to be thinking, oh my goodness, when they drain that pond, that gun's going to be just laying right there. So you would expect her defense attorney to then have something to say to explain 
that video and what happened and why that happened. But no, at the end of the trial, that was the very last thing that the prosecutors put on was that video. And the defense did absolutely nothing to counter it. Nothing. Silence. They rested. Darlene did not take the stand because her attorney told her that it just probably would not go well for her. It would not, you know, look, look, it would, it would put her in a position where she would have to face the prosecutor and answer questions. And it's just not going to look good. And so she did not take the stand. And so the jury went back to deliberate and they were deliberating for a long time. I and mean, it was most the, the better part of a day. And then the prosecutor was kind of sweating it out a little bit. And then they came back with a verdict and she, they did find her guilty. And she got 60 years in prison for killing her husband. Crazy. Well, Darlene gave a, an interview, okay? And in this interview from prison in her white jumpsuit and her blonde <laughs> hair tucked behind her ears, she sat right there explaining everything away, everything from why, you know, you are a registered nurse and you make a phone call because you find your husband shot one morning. You make a phone call to 911 and the first thing that you say is the house is cold, the, the doors, back doors open. right, the back door is open, every, everything, like you, you are literally staging the scene for why it would have been an intruder before you tell the dispatcher that your husband has been shot. And I would imagine that if you walk into your husband's, if you walk into the bedroom and you find your husband laying in the bed dead or, or injured, would that not be first and foremost in your right? mind? Right, yeah. And not only that, as a registered nurse, would you not try to give some sort of aid? I understand being in that situation and your mind just going blank and like you can't be a nurse at that point. You're a, you know, you're a, a grieving family member. You're, you're a wife, whatever. And and you maybe for whatever reason your instincts aren't kicking in as a nurse. I know I've heard enough people say that 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 is a thing, but. For you to not even touch him, she did not touch him at all, whatsoever. I, I mean, I really have a hard time with that. She never even tried to touch him, never tried to hold pressure on the bleeding, you know, grab him like, oh my gosh, what happened? You know, nothing. And then call 911 and tell him all about what the house looks like before you tell him that your husband's been shot. That's t- <laughs> a little alarming. It it is, and it not everyone acts in typical ways, and you don't you never know what adrenaline's going to do to you. You never know what shock is going to do to someone. Yeah, I mean, in this case, they they had an example like when she first went to the hospital and they said he was brain dead. They took him off life support. She was just kind of tearful, but I don't know. You picture a person in shock, and it's like they're either like apathetic, like no tears at all, just kind of like don't care. It almost Stunned. comes across you, right. Or they're like completely on the floor. Yeah. But she was in between, which is kind of, like, that is kind of weird in my opinion, yeah. even though everybody is different. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
yeah, you almost would expect extremes. But again, I do. I hate to, I hate to judge people because I, I don't think it is fair. I think it's just one of those situations you just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not fair to, to judge someone based on that because it's, it's not a typical circumstance. So you can't say that this is the way someone should act. But not touching them at all and not saying to the dispatcher first thing, my husband's been shot. I, I don't get that at all. I really don't. That makes no sense to me. Right. Like, how is that not the priority? Yeah. It just, it's cold and callous and it's calculated. I mean, it just sounds, I don't know how you can justify it whatsoever. I really don't. But then you add on top of that all that happened with that pond and her fate is sealed, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, yeah. And then out of the whole pond, mm -hmm. they got a video of her just searching in like that one specific spot, like right where they found it. Yeah. Because her answer to that was, well, I had heard a rumor that the, the murder weapon had been thrown into that pond. And that's why I was searching for it. And she said, I knew when I did it that I shouldn't have done it. I knew I shouldn't have been doing it, but I just, I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But And who the hell would you hear that from? Yeah, I heard a rumor. Who? Who told you this? Like, come up with one person mm-hmm. that told you this. And not only that, like, the fact that she went, I mean, right to the spot and went nowhere else. She was not going to leave that spot. She did not go anywhere. She went right there, and she was all over that one spot, and then she didn't find it, so she left, you know? So I'm really surprised she did the interview, and and honestly, I'm surprised she doesn't just come right out. Like, at this point, everyone knows you did it. You have to realize that there is not any, there's not one person in this world, who knows all of the circumstances involved with this case, who would think that she's innocent, right? Mm -hmm. And yet, she's going to just hold her, you know, stick to her guns and just say, nope, I didn't do it. And it's just just strange to me. Mm -hmm. Well, that was our bad nurse story. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. You guys, Trusted Health has been so kind and gracious as to sponsor our podcast continually. We really appreciate them. If you would, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile and just go in there and look if you're interested in travel nursing. I mean, even if you're just a little bit curious about what the possibilities are, I go on there all the time and just look and see just out of curiosity to see, you know, when I am ready to start travel nursing, what are the possibilities? What are these jobs paying right now? <laughs> you you would be really surprised what travel nurses are getting right now. Maybe you wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. I, I know I'm kind of shocked when I see the amounts <laughs> that people are getting. But anyway, you guys, Trusted Health is not like your typical nurse travel agency. With Trusted Health, you work for them. You are an employee of Trusted Health. They've got your back. They have nurse advocates that are there waiting all the time to guide you all along the process. It's just a great company. I have only heard wonderful things from the friends, my personal friends who are using them right now, going all over the country. And I'm telling you, 
They only have wonderful things to say about them. If you're even a little bit curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile today. Let's do a good nurse story. Go ahead. You want me to start? You first. So we were talking about like what we're going to do is tell something, an experience that we had that helped make us a better nurse. So you guys know I love to read. And I, I mean, I talk about that a lot. I was reading a book. It's a, it was a fictional book. It was just like kind of about like a murder mystery kind of thing, sort of one of those kind of books. And But the beginning of it, well, the author kind of put in there a little personal experience that she had had. She apparently had been in some sort of an accident and she was in the hospital for a long time, like weeks. And she was unable to respond to anyone around her. She could hear everything that they were saying. She was 100% aware of everything that was going on. But she could not let them know that she knew what they were saying. She couldn't move. She couldn't say anything. She could only be aware of what was going on and hear what was going on. So once she came out of that, she still remembered everything. She remembered the nurses who came in and turned her and talked to her and explained everything that they were doing before they did it so that she would not be uncomfortable. And they just assumed that she understood and could hear what they were saying. And she remembered the ones that came in and just turned her to get the job done. You know, change the sheets, give the bath, doing, you know, talking to each other. Maybe there's two and they're talking to each other and they're have completely acting as if, as if she's not there. And it just made a really huge impact on the way that I think about our my patients that are like this because even though we're told always act like your patient can hear you and understand you. It's still easy to kind of fall into, well, you know, they don't know I'm here. I feel silly talking to someone that's not even aware. I feel like I'm talking to myself. Once I read her, you know, her experience, that personal experience, that made it so much easier for me than when I have a patient like that who's not responsive, who's been, you know, been lying there for a long time and it appears as though they don't know what's going on. I I don't know. Because of that story, I find it a lot easier to just talk to that person as if they know everything that I'm saying. And I I just assume that they do. And I think it's because of that hearing that personal story from her, I try to put myself in that in the position of that, that person. And I'm thinking, if I was laying there like that, like that woman, I would want the, per- the I would want the nurse who was talking to me. I would want the nurse who was saying, "Hey, I'm about to do this. I'm about to do that. Hey, we're going to clean you up. We're going to turn you. We're going to do this." That would be so much more comforting than just you know being turned suddenly or you know and people just talking over you and acting as though you're not even there. And so. That had a huge, I mean, that one little thing, I'm like literally just reading this book and I happened to read this little part that she put at the beginning and that had this huge impact on me, this like statement from a, a patient. And I don't know, I 
I think that it's kind of made me a better nurse just because I feel like I, I try to always remember to treat people that way whenever t- I'm taking care of them. What do you think? My story, it, it just c- comes back to like reminding, uh, it reminded me to be like more empathetic. And my patient that really affected me this week and kind of like, I don't know, I needed that. I've, I've been just kind of feeling like burnout a little bit. And I was also reading a book. I was reading a book about Alzheimer's and I had a patient with dementia and she was very like pleasantly confused. And we all know like that's like the best because no matter what you say, the patient has no idea what's happening, but they're just like really happy to see you. And if it's like the sweetest old person, who doesn't love taking care of that patient? <laughs> yeah. And so that was this lady this week. But she had this moment where she kind of became like more clear. And she was just like, I I don't know how I got here. I know I'm not in my normal place. What's happening? And she was like reading the little TV screen where it said like hello and her name and like the date. And she was reading it and she's just is somebody messing with me? And I just like explained everything to her, like that she had an infection and that like she's in a safe place, blah, blah, blah. And she just like started sobbing. And it it, it was it was just the most heartbreaking thing to see this woman who was like generally very like pleasant and happy kind of like come to and just seeing just like putting myself in that shoes, like how scary would it be if if I just didn't know how I got to where I am and like not having any control over that? How anxious would I be? I'm I'm anxious at baseline. I can't imagine if if my memory was poor or like, and so I definitely I just like spent more time with her. And was like really gentle and explained everything to her. And because like I, she was so sweet at the beginning, it it was really easy for me to be that way with her. But because of that, I think it helped me with my other patients who aren't always so easy to deal with to kind of be like, okay, if I... If I was in a car accident and broke my neck and was ventilated right now and broke my arm and didn't know all these things, how would I feel? It's like, it's never, it's, we can never be reminded too much to put ourselves in those shoes. We can't forget, we can't forget that every patient has their own experience. It's unique to them. Oftentimes, they've never dealt with anything like this before. It's scary, and it's it's difficult to do, but somehow we have to find it in ourselves to try to keep your, your mind renewed, I guess. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think that's what that Alzheimer's patient was for me, was just kind of like a renewal of really reminding myself to be like, what would I feel if I was in that person's shoes? Like, what would I want to hear? Yeah. Kind of like, you know, obviously I don't mean it like what would I want to hear, but like what what needs what I have that aren't unspoken that a nurse could meet. Yeah. And mostly it's just communication. Just 
what what to expect and what I'm coming in to do and yeah communication so that they feel safe and they 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 don't feel as much as possible they don't feel vulnerable they're going to feel vulnerable yeah I think I I would just need like constant reassurance in mm-hmm. that position mm-hmm. well those are just a couple of stories from from our perspective that we just wanted to share with you guys because um there are there are just times when you're taking care of patients that you're just impacted like that. And it's it's important for us, I think, to try to pass on that knowledge to other people. Like if you have experiences you want to pass on to someone else, if you guys have an experience that you that kind of changed your the way that you care for people in a positive way, the way that uh, some experience that helped you be a better nurse, send me an email. Let me know what it is. I would love to be able to share it with people because these things, I think that the more that we can talk to each other and hear these things from each other, it it will just only strengthen our resolve to be good nurses um, for our patients. And ultimately, of course, that's what we all want to be, right? Hopefully, the people listen, listening to this podcast anyway. Lakiuki, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast and glad to have you back. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure, Tuna. <laughs> you guys can email me at Tuna. You can email me at <laughs> Tuna. Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. <laughs> You guys can email me at Tina at GoodNurseBadNurse.com. You can find us on Instagram at GMBN Podcast or Twitter at GMBN Podcast. Or fit, gosh, I say that wrong every single time. No, it's Instagram at Good Nurse Bad Nurse. Twitter and Facebook, it's GMB and Podcast. Why is it different? I don't know. It was just the way it was set up at the beginning. So look us up, follow us. And also, of course, I want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. Right, Joji? Right, Joji? Thank you.